Our scripture text this morning comes from Joshua 23, verses 1 through 16. Listen now for the word of the Lord. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies all around, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, their elders and heads, their judges and officers, And he said to them, I'm now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It is the Lord your God who has fought for you. I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off, from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you, and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very steadfast to observe and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the left nor to the right, so that you may not be mixed with these nations left here among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow yourselves down to them, but hold fast to the Lord your God, as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations, and as for you, no one has been able to withstand you to this day. One of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God, for if you turn your back and join the survivors of these nations left here among you and intermarry with them so that you marry their women and they yours, know assuredly that the Lord your God will not continue to drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you and a scourge on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land that the Lord your God has given you. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one thing has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you, not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, So the Lord will bring upon you all the bad things until he has destroyed you from this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God which he enjoined on you and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and you shall perish quickly from the good land that he has given to you. It is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're talking about spiritual gifts, and this is our fourth week of kind of diving into these. And this week we're talking about exhortation. And if you don't know what exhortation means, um, I had to look it up this week as well because I I didn't know. Uh, And it, it just comes from a Latin word that means to thoroughly encourage. It's kind of like it could be like urging someone to do something It could be like you're at a race or at a marathon and you're encouraging the people to keep going, keep going. So you're urging them to do something, but you're also encouraging them to continue 
in the race or doing whatever they're doing. Um, let, let me give you a, a better example from my life recently this week. Uh, I had to give Ron a bath because, as you know, the weather broke and we've had all of this wonderful weather and it's warm and it's so nice outside. And so we, we got Ron outside and Ron got as muddy as he possibly could have. And when we got home, I decided that it had been probably since the beginning of winter that we had given him a bath. And so I decided that I'm going to throw him in the bath and we are going to go through that whole experience and ordeal. Now, if you've ever given a dog a bath that doesn't like water, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, I think that I would do better if I had a cat that I was trying to give a bath to. I mean, honestly. So uh, as soon as I pick Ron up and I start walking toward the downstairs, which is where we bathe him, uh, he immediately starts whining and shrieking, and he's trying to crawl over my shoulder to jump off and then run away. Well, I get him downstairs and I get him in the bath and when I turn the water on, he starts making this god-awful noise. And I, I just want you to hear this noise so that you know exactly what I'm talking about. That was about eight seconds of that sound, and I am swearing to you today that that went on for approximately 10 to 15 minutes. However long the bath took, that is how long Ron made that noise in the bathtub. And to bring this all back around to the point, you know, to exhort someone or something or some dog in this case is to simply say something like I said to Ron in that moment. Uh, hey, it's going to be okay. Shh, shh, it's all right. And I would pet his head. And then, you know, I got him some peanut butter to try to calm him down, but he didn't want the peanut butter. You know, I was trying to encourage him that, you know, everything would be all right. If he just continued to stay there, if he stayed calm, nothing would happen. He'd taken baths before too, which is even harder, but you know, the dog just doesn't like baths, I guess. Well, in our text this week, Joshua is exhorting the people. And as he tells us, he's about to die. He says, I'm, I'm old. And in some translations, it says, I'm gray-headed. And he's about to go the way of all the earth. And he has just finished up this marvelous campaign where he's led the people after Moses passed away. He's taken leadership over the people and he has led them into what they believe is the promised land that God has given them to begin to raise their families in and to begin to create a culture and to begin to build cities. And they So they are going on this sort of military campaign and Joshua is the leader of it and they're taking out city after city and uh, in, in terms of being a military leader, it, it seems as if Joshua did a very, very good job and he had put them on the right path. And they believe that all of their success had come because they were faithful to Yahweh. They were uh, devoted to God and they kept the covenant that God had made with them and they didn't transgress that. And so Joshua at the end of his life is essentially saying, look, I'm out of here and you you can't rely on me. And what we need to know, you know, before I go is that you have to stay on this path. You know, this path is 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 what got us here. This path is 
is what has created our success. And we have to stay together and we have to stay focused on God. We cannot begin to worship ourselves and we can't begin to stray from the decrees that God has given us. And one of those decrees, as we saw in the text, was they weren't allowed to intermarry. Because at the time, there was probably a lot more prejudice, a lot more racism, a lot more of these sort of uncertainties around mixing peoples and groups. And so they they didn't do that. And, and this is one of the laws that are sort of rained down on them. And so he really focuses on that, um, probably because it may have started to become a problem, or maybe he just saw you know, into the future that that would be maybe one of their bigger problems. In any case, Joshua is, is urging them strongly, and he's thoroughly encouraging them to continue going the way that they've been going, because that is the path that's leading to their success and really their salvation in a lot of ways. You know, the word salvation, uh, we, we often think means these uh, this really grand moment at the end of our life when we are given new life. And it may mean that, but uh, it actually is just a, a Greek word that means to heal. It means healing. And so they're healing as a people who have come out of Egypt and have been wandering through the desert for 40 years or maybe even more. You know, their healing is coming through remaining committed to the covenant, remaining focused on worshiping God, continuing to have God as their leader and their guide, and continuing to follow the laws that God has given them. In Joshua, even as he's getting ready to die, is encouraging them strongly, saying, continue to stay on that path. Now, I don't have much else to say about what exhortation is or, or what these people do, since I know that we can all pretty much understand you know, what it means to encourage. So I, I kind of just want to tell you some stories about uh, times in my life when people have uh, exhorted me and and have really used this gift of exhortation, especially as you try to figure out what your spiritual gifts are and what gifts the Holy Spirit has given to you. And so I, I need to tell you this story about when I was in eighth grade, okay, uh, I had this science teacher. Let's call him Mr. Smith because I'm, I'm not remembering his name. It might pop into my head during this, but Mr. Smith um, was notorious for the LEAF project. And in eighth grade, uh, every, every eighth grader had to collect 50 leaves, okay? And you had to write down their scientific name. You had to write down where you found it. You had to, like, measure the leaf. You had to talk about its veins. I mean, there was this whole list of requirements for every leaf that you had to find. And there were 50, and you had to compile them, actually find them, you know, outside in, in, the, uh, in nature, in a forest, and you had to press them between pieces of paper to preserve them and then print out or write in all of the information that was required. And this was sort of a, um, a semester-long project. So it was usually second semester um, in the spring, right after the, the leaves started kind of budding and, and coming out. And so um, when I was in eighth grade, I had to do this, all right? And what you need to know right away is that I did not plan uh, ahead. And I, it's, you know, I've worked on it since I've become an adult. But when I was in eighth grade, eighth grade Garrett was not a planner. All right. And so it was two nights before this was due and I did not have anything. I had not gathered materials. I had not gathered leaves. I hadn't even thought about Mr. Smith's eighth grade, eighth grade leaf project. Okay. 
And I told my mom, uh, so it was due on a Monday, I remember. So I told my mom on Saturday that I, you know, I hadn't done this project. And I said, I'm going to need help because I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. And so she sat me down and I can remember we're sitting at the table and she says, well, let's read the directions. And so I read the directions out loud to her and I realized, oh my goodness, I have so much work to do. And so my mom and I kind of hustle around and we go and she's like, well, our first step is that we have to gather 50 different kinds of leaves. Why don't you call your friends that have done this project and ask them where they got their leaves? So I called and then we went and we, we found leaves and we, that was actually relatively easy. It probably took us two or three hours, but you know, we got to be outside, we got to uh, hike around a little bit. And that was sort of an exciting part of the, the, the project. Well, I got home and I had all these leaves and I cleared off the kitchen table and I've got 50 leaves around here. And then I, I have to start organizing them and compiling them, which, you know, if you know that I don't plan ahead, then you probably know that I'm not going to be the best organizational person. I mean, even right now, it's, it's only the grace of uh, my wife, Sarah, that I'm even remotely organized in my life and even remotely, um, you, you know, sort of, sort of figuring out how I need to structure my day or my time or my projects. And so I have all of this out on the table. It's total chaos. And I just remember staring at it for like an hour or two. And I didn't even do anything. I just stared and felt overwhelmed. Like, oh my goodness. I have, you know, I, I had essentially that evening and then I had the rest of Sunday. And, you know, I, I think I was excited at the time because I knew that I wasn't going to have to go to church on Sunday, which I know is, is terrible for me to say, but, you know, as an eighth grader, I didn't want to go to church on Sundays. And, you know, so I, I would think I was excited about that, but I was also like, oh, I, there's no way I'm going to be able to get this done. So I think I did two or three of the leafs that night. And, and I, I can remember it taking a very long time. I don't want to give you like hour-wise, but it, it took me... I would say, no, I would say probably an hour for each leaf. That's to organize them, to press them, and to put all of the information on them. And then I went to bed and I woke up and the rest of Sunday I sort of stared and I, I tried to plug away. But by about six o'clock or seven o'clock after we had eaten dinner, I still had, I think, half of my project, if not more, to do. And I just kind of fell apart. I remember I got really overwhelmed. I started like getting a little bit panicky. I, you know, started to cry and was like, it's not worth it. I'll just take the, the F. I don't really care what my grade is in science. I'm not going to be a scientist anyway. You know, I'm, do, I'm saying all of the things that you would expect a teenager to say. And I'm frustrated. And I want to find a, a way out of that. And, you know, I can remember... Um, my mother sitting down with me and she just kind of looked at me and she said, look, the way that you're going to complete this is not by complaining. It's not by wishing that you would have planned ahead. It's not by doing all of these other things that you've been doing. The way that you're going to complete this project is by sitting down and going leaf by leaf, one at a time, completing them until they're all done. And 
I can remember being actually really frustrated by that answer because it's like, I don't want to hear that. Like I want, I want a magic answer. I want to know how I'm going to fix this right away. I want to know exactly what I need to do to figure this out so that it makes my life easier, which is actually what a lot of people do when they come to church, right? I think that they think we expect this of our preachers, actually, that, you know, I'm going to come up to you and I'm just going to say this magic word or this magic thing. And, and I thought that my mom was going to do that for me, too. But that, that's not how this works. You know, she said to me the, the wisest thing she could have and actually the most encouraging thing she could have, even if it didn't make me feel better in the moment. And I think this is what people with the gift of exhortation do. You know, if you have ever run a marathon or any kind of long race, like I, you know, I have, I ran my first one two years ago and I absolutely couldn't stand that people were out there telling me, go, you're doing great because I actually wasn't doing great and it actually hurt. And I was actually in a lot of pain, you know, but, but you need to hear those words in that moment because it is what you need to do. If you want to complete the task, if you want to do well and you want to succeed, it is what you need to hear and what you need to do. And so my mom was really wise in this way, but she was really exhorting me. She was really, you know, thoroughly encouraging me to keep my focus on the proper things so that I could complete it. And, you know, I did for better, or for worse. And I probably threw some fits in between there, but I put my head down. I went leaf by leaf. I outlined them. I gave their scientific name. I did all of the things that I needed to. And I went until about 3.30 or 4 a.m., I guess. And um, I finished the project. And I don't think I would have been able to do that had it not been for my mother sitting down with me, looking me in the eye and telling me, you got to go one step at a time. Keep going. You'll do it. It takes you this long to do one leaf. If you think about that and you continue to go, you'll be done in this amount of time. And she said that. And that was a gift to me in that moment. And I think mothers are good for that most of the time. You know, that's a pretty natural gift that a lot of mothers have. But I wonder if we think of it as a gift. I wonder if we see it as a gift given by God to us to help other people along, whether it's our children or whether it's people that we know just from the neighborhood or whether it's friends or family, whoever it is. I wonder if we see that as a gift that we can use and, and to give to people. I think that Joshua had this gift. You know, I think that at the end of his life, you know, he he is offering this to the Israelites, sort of the step by step. But another side of the gift that I see in Joshua is that, you know, the, the use of this gift and, and his his expert use of it, I would say, lies in the fact that he leaves everything up to the Israelites. You know, people with the gift of exhortation, they don't try to control everything and they don't get upset when things don't go their way. They're trusting and they're understanding and, and they will give people the freedom to either succeed or fail. Uh, they're not people that are going to complain about how everything needs to change and how if everyone would just do their job, then everything would be fine. You know, they don't gripe and moan about how everything around them should be different and how no one does their job or anything else the right way. You know, and, and, and that's not what Josh was doing here either. He's saying, look, it, it's all on you. Uh, all of you have to come together to do this. Uh, you know, and, and I think he shows us and, and like my mother showed me, they they people with this gift, they don't try to change people by voicing their opinions. 
and they especially don't try to change people by voicing complaints and, and discouraging people, right? They are people who roll up their sleeves, figure out what needs to be done, and then they are able to communicate that to everyone around them, and they do that in order to create change. And it's exactly what my mother did for me. She did not do that project for me. She would never do that. I mean, that woman was, was very, very clear that, you know, I'm not going to bail you out of any of these situations. She did sit down with me, though. She did look me in the eye. And she did take a time out to say, this is how it needs to be done. So make your choice. If you want to do it, and if you want to succeed, that's how you're going to do it. And if not, you know, I guess you have to accept the consequences. And that's really what Joshua is saying to the people too. You know, he's saying, look, if you go the other way and you transgress, then God is not going to help you succeed. In fact, God is going to make sure that all of you are destroyed like all of the other nations around us that have been destroyed. And that's just the fact of it, you know, and that, that, that can be kind of a, a hard thing to say, I think. That can be definitely a hard thing to hear but it's just the reality of the situation. And I actually think that that is exhortation too. You know, encouragement is not just the speaking of positive words and, and things that make us feel happy and things that make us feel good. It's the speaking of reality and truth in a way that gives people the ability to sort of choose which way they want to go and to know full well what each path is going to hold for them. I'll tell you one more story before we wrap this up. My father is a great encourager, and in his old age, he's kind of gotten soft. And what I mean by that is that he cries a lot more now than I ever remember him crying. And he's very nostalgic, and he just wants to tell stories. He just wants to have a good time. And I think it's, you know, he just retired. And so I, I think a lot of it, just his whole life has changed, you know. But he has really taken on this role of encourager in my life, and, and he has taken that role on for probably the last five years. And, you know, I would say my father and I didn't always have the best relationship. It was kind of tumultuous. I grew up away from him. My parents divorced when I was young, and I grew up away from him, and he... Uh, we always had a long-distance relationship, and if any of you have ever been in one of those, whether with a loved one or a parent, you know that it, it is actually pretty difficult and, and can be very straining. But my father and I, we, we went through that, and we repaired the relationship, though, and, and five years ago, the benefits of repairing that and the, the, the good parts of, of having a, a father that you're in good relationship with really became apparent to me because my life really fell apart five years ago. Um, and I was not in a good place and I didn't know where my life was going and I didn't know what I was doing. And a lot of things around me had changed drastically. And I didn't really know what to do. And, and to give you an idea of how I was doing, you know, I, I actually took a year off of seminary. And so I had left uh, Princeton Theological where I was in a really nice apartment and I, I had a good job and I was going to class and I was doing all of the things that I wanted to do. And then some things happened in life and uh, I just didn't know how to respond and I, I, I wasn't in a good spot. And so I decided to take a year off to take care of myself and to really think about things and see which direction I was going. And so I went from Princeton in this nice two-bedroom apartment to living quite literally in the back of a hair salon, all right? And I, I just want you to know that I'm not, 
I wasn't necessarily homeless, but I wasn't too far from being at that point. And um, I can give you details about this story if if you want to, you know, ask me about it. But I was in this place where I had really, really fallen from the place where I was and where I had been and where I wanted to be. And I'm living in the back of this hair salon behind one of the dividers, you know, so if you've ever been in a hair salon, uh, I was behind one of the dividers and I had a bed back there and I had a dresser and I paid $200 a month to live back there. This is in downtown Columbus, Ohio. And I can remember calling my dad one day and uh, he asked me how things were going. And I I'm not always a person that is going to give that information up. You know, I, I keep things kind of close to my chest. And I told my dad, I said, oh, things are fine. But then I just kind of lost it. You know, I just kind of, you ever, you know, start to talk to someone and, and you're really emotional and you're trying to keep it together, but you just kind of like, you know, blubber over your words and you fumble this. And well, that's what I did. And he was like, Garrett, tell me what's going on. You know, and I, I kind of broke down and just said, look, like I'm living in the back of a hair salon. I'm working three jobs to make ends meet. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, my life has fallen apart and I am lost. And I can remember my dad just kind of pausing and he got emotional because I think he had been in a similar place in his life as I had been. And he said to me, he said, Garrett, the only thing that you can do is wake up Take care of what you need to take care of today. Settle whatever you need to settle today. Go to your job, do your work, come home, and get ready for the next day. You can't fix what's going to happen in five years. You can't even fix what's going to happen tomorrow. You wake up, you put your shoes on, you put your clothes on, you eat some breakfast, have a cup of coffee, and you go about your day. And you just continue to do that and you continue to do well, continue to be responsible, you know. And then he he would he and he says this almost every time I talk to him now, even though I'm I'm in a much better place. But I, I really do appreciate it because it's a good reminder every time I hear it. But then he'll he'll also go on to say, and Garrett, I believe that God has given everyone a gift. Everyone has a gift, Garrett, and your gift is writing, you know, and your gift is speaking, and your gift is being with people. And and making them feel seen and loved. And, and, and he, I mean, he talked about this. He named these gifts for me. And I couldn't believe it because I, I would have never named those gifts for me. You know, I would have never, ever said that those were what I was good at or that God had given me those. And he said that. And he said, and so you need to find ways to figure out, Garrett, how you're going to use those gifts. And so when you put your shoes on and you have breakfast and you make your coffee and you go about your day, you continue to think about how you want to use those gifts in the world and how you can use them to help the people around you. Because I believe that that's what we're meant to do. You know, don't waste that gift that God has given you. And if you keep doing that, Garrett, you may not be the richest person in the world. You may not, you know, be free of troubles. You know, you'll never be free of troubles, but you will have a sense of peace. And you will have figured out a lot of these problems. And you will be in a place that you want to be. And I really believe that, Garrett. And I'm telling you, he, he, he says this almost every time I talk to him now, but he has that way of encouraging, of, of really leveling with me, and of telling me what I need to do to continue to go forward and to succeed. And so as you think about your own gifts, as you think about what the Holy Spirit has given you, as you think about what gifts God has given you, I, I would ask 
you to try to name them. Try to encourage yourself. I would ask you to think about the people in your life that have encouraged you, that have exhorted you. Or think about the people in your life that you might pass this gift along to and say, you know, teach them what it means to complete something or teach them uh, what it means to kind of process those difficult times, those chaotic times when we don't know what to do. And really think about how your life has been impacted by these people, whether it was your mom or your dad or an aunt or an uncle or a loved one or whoever it was. Think about them. Think about how they've encouraged you. And think about how you can do that for someone else in your life.